messages is this, keep shining. Keep shining. If you were a little child in Sunday school, um, perhaps even if you didn't go to Sunday school, one of the very first songs that you ever learned had a motion that went something like this. Help me out now. Ready? Begin. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And you know, that's a simple song with a fun motion. We could even get into the hide it under a bushel, don't let Satan blow it out, all the fun verses that go with that song. With a powerful message about what Christ has called us to be. Or who, I should say, Jesus has left us to be. We are called to be people of the light. And we are called to shine the light. So in this message, in this series of messages, we're going to look at seven churches that are described in the book of Revelation. Now, to kind of get ahead of myself, but I'll do it intentionally, the seven churches in Revelation, these churches are described as candlesticks, or uh, maybe more easily understood as lampstands. And so the imagery you see in our, in our slide for this would be like a, similar to like a Jewish menorah. These would have been, the, these would have been the, the lampstands or the candlesticks that are being described in the verses that we're about to read. And so the seven churches are described as seven candlesticks or seven lampstands, and they remind us that the church of Jesus Christ is called to be the light of the world. And as, and I love this imagery, and, and I'm, I'm going to get ahead of the whole message here, but let me show you where we're going. You and I as individuals, we've got, as the song said, what? This little light of mine. We've got a little light. But as these messages are given, as these letters are written to churches, the idea is as our individual candles burn, we join together as the church into a glorious, illuminating flame to brightly display the good news of Jesus. I mean, you are not called to be a little light burning out there all by yourself. But you and I as Christians are called into, into first, first and foremost, a relationship with Jesus Christ, which then brings us into a relationship with the church. And as part of the church, we are to be the lampstand. We are to be the light of the world. And so this local church and every local church must endeavor to keep the light shining. Keep the light shining. Well, read with me in Revelation chapter 1. Let's pick it up in verse number 9. Revelation 1 and verse number 9. I, who? John. John the Revelator. John the Apostle, known as the Beloved Apostle, the disciple who Jesus loved. He's an old, old man. We'll say more about that on Wednesday nights. But John is a very, very old man writing the very final book that the Holy Spirit gave us that makes up our New Testament. I, John who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So we get a little bit of background right from the start. The church is going through at this point, the churches that, that John is writing 
Two, are they having an easy time or a difficult time? They're having a difficult time. They're facing tribulations and difficulties. And he says, I, John, am also your brother. I'm your companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Well, I was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, what he means by that is he's in exile. He's been persecuted for being a preacher of the gospel, and he has now been sentenced to live out his days on this forsaken isle of Patmos. But while the whole whole world had forsaken him and the government had exiled him, the presence of God was never more real in John's life. And in that moment, he says, I was, in verse number 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. we We could preach about that for a few minutes right there. The Lord's day, it's Sunday morning, it's, and John is all alone on the Isle of Patmos, but it's the day when God's people gather to worship, and John finds himself in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I'd encourage you on the Lord's day as you come to church to be in the Spirit as you arrive here. And that's John. He's in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and, he heard, and, and here it comes now. And I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. John, what I'm about to tell you, write it down in a book. And aren't you thankful that he wrote it in a book? And you have that book this morning. Write it in a book, John. Now, these seven churches, I will put the map up really quickly. If you guys could get the map up on the screen. When you hear Asia, it's Asia Minor, or as we know it as uh, modern-day Turkey. And this book was literally written, the book of Revelation was literally written to seven physical local churches. Now, the order of the churches, you say, is there significance to the order of the churches? Perhaps, not really sure, but we know it would make sense geographically because Ephesus was a major port city. So it's very likely that whoever carried this book of Revelation, whoever carried this book, would have gotten a boat and would have sailed to Ephesus. And as he got to Ephesus, he would have delivered the letter to the church at Ephesus. And he would have traveled up to Smyrna. And then, as you see, to Pergamos, make his way to Thyatira and Sardis, and Philadelphia, then finish at Laodicea before he completes the circuit. But there's been much speculation about what is the significance of these seven churches. What would help us is just to take it at face value and to take it very simply that these were seven churches that needed to hear a message from the Lord, just like most of your New Testament are letters written to churches. Were you aware of that? That the book of Romans was the letter to the, church, the churches in Rome. The book of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Galatians was written to the churches in Galatia. All of, the church, all of the letters were either written to churches or to specific leaders of these churches. So we understand, though, that just as these were beneficial for those churches, they are beneficial for our church. And so as we study this, and I think another thing you see with these seven letters to seven churches is you see behaviors and situations 
that are typical of any church, of all churches that have been throughout the ages. You see their strengths and you see their weaknesses. You see their victories and you see their defeats. You see them on mission, you see them off mission. You see them burning brightly and you see their candles growing dim. And so we are to learn the lessons for the lampstands. So now look back in the book of Revelation chapter 1 and look down, I think we left off in verse number 12. So the the letters are going to these churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And now in verse number 12, he heard that great voice and I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Now that phrase, the Son of Man, would have been very significant to John because John spent three and a half years traveling with Jesus. And more often than any other name, when Jesus referred to himself, he referred to himself as the, yeah, you guessed it, the Son of Man. The Son of Man. One of the names of Christ. And John looks, but Jesus doesn't look the way he, John remembered him. He says, what I saw, I saw the resemblance. He was like the Son of Man, but he looks different now. He was clothed with a garment down to the foot and girded about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had, it, he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance, his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, and aren't you thankful for these words? What did he say? Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And all the church said, Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. John, I want you to write about what you've seen and what you know. I want you to write about the things that are happening right now. And then I want you to write about the things that are yet to come. And that's the great theme of the book of Revelation. John writes what he saw. And then he writes the letters to the churches, which is the now. And then he's going to write about the things that are going to happen. And he says in verse number 20, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand. So remember, John sees a vision. There's Jesus. 
in the midst of the seven candlesticks. There's seven of these candelabra or lampstands all around. And John sees Jesus in his glorious state in the middle of these lampstands. And in his right hand, he's holding these stars. And now Jesus explains, the stars that you saw and the seven golden candlesticks. Well, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. That word angel can refer to heavenly angelic beings or it can refer to messengers. We'll talk more about that aspect maybe on Wednesday night. But I want you to notice what he says next. And the seven candlesticks that you saw, the seven candlesticks that you saw are the seven churches. And so we see here the church as the lampstand, the church as the light. Let me share a few scriptures with you as we think about this this glorious illustration. It is intended in the book of Revelation to capture our attention, to capture our imagination, and then to teach us some valuable lessons. You see the church as the lampstand. There's an interesting progression that you'll see in the Gospels. John 8 and verse number 12 says this. John 8, 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, What did Jesus say? Jesus said what? I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Okay. Who is the light of the world? Jesus is the light of the world. Okay. I understand that. But then you skip a chapter forward in John chapter 9, and verse number 5, Jesus says this, as long as what? As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But if you went to John chapter 14, we're not going to go there. But if you did, you'd find Jesus telling his disciples that was he going to stay in the world or leave the world? He said he's going to leave. So where is the light of the world today? You guessed it. Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16, Jesus says to his disciples, Matthew 5, 14, read it with me. Ready? Ye are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. The light came from me and has shined on you, and now the light resides in you, and you all are the light of the world. It's a plural word, and um, the, not all translations do this, but in the King James Version, when you see that word ye, it's an indication that it's a plural tense. It signifies that this isn't a singular you, it's a plural you all. We don't have that distinction in English, so the translators use the word ye and you for plurals and thee and thou for singulars. Just a little interesting bit of trivia there. But when he says ye are the light of the world, he's making it clear, hey disciples, I'm talking to, for some of our southern transplants in here, I'm talking to y'all. I'm talking to y'all. Y'all are the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. It's you. It's you all. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. Hide it under a bushel. Well, some of you know it. Who let that? Who was that? 
All right? No, I'm going to let it shine. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but they take that and they put it on a candlestick, the lampstand, the candelabra. They put it on there and it gives light unto all that are in the house. So, verse number 16, with all that you've got, if you do this really well, I won't try to get you to sing this little light of mine, I promise. Ready? So here we go. Ready? Let your light so shine. Let it what? Shine. Let it shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, the plan for the lampstand, the goal for the seven churches, and for church, all of this church history that we're a part of, was for you and I to say, I'm going to let my light shine, and then to join up with somebody else who says, I'm going to let my light shine, and we put those lights in the beautiful candelabra of the local New Testament church so that the world can see a bright and shining light and say, wow, those people have something that I want to have. But the problem is this, as we're going to study this each week for the next several weeks, sometimes the church shone brightly. And sometimes the light grew dim. Sometimes the church didn't give the world much to look at that was desirable. And other times it was a beautiful bride of Christ. The question for you, the question for me, and the question for all of us as a local church is how brightly will we let our collective light shine as Mount Greylock Baptist Church? Keep shining. So back in the book of Revelation, I want to just give you four lessons for the lamp, that we learned from the lampstands this morning. Very quickly, I'll, I'll try to do this quickly because I think you already understand the main point. But what I want you to notice here, first of all, is what we're going to see over the next several weeks is the presence of Christ among his church. The presence of Christ among his church. He's walking among the candlesticks. And there's a couple of places that you'll see this. You'll see back in Revelation 1 and verse 12, I turned to see the voice spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And then verse 13 says, and in the midst, in the midst of the seven candlesticks was who? Who's in the midst of the candlesticks? Jesus. Jesus is there. He's in the midst of the candlesticks. He's walking among the churches. He's there. He's there. And if you look at Revelation 2 in verse number 1, we'll see, we'll look at this more carefully next week, but it says in verse 1, And unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. Read it with me. Who what? Who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. You see, friends, Jesus is among his church. He is present with us this morning. But he's not just present here. He's, he's among all of our sister churches, both locally and around the globe. He's the omnipresent one. 
He's everywhere at once. And today, he's walking among his churches. And it's a special day for the church. It's Sunday. It's the day the churches assemble historically. For 2,000 years, churches have been assembling on Sundays. But he doesn't just walk among the church on Sunday. He walks among the church Monday through Saturday as well. Because the church does not cease to be the church when we leave the doors this morning. But as we go out, we continue to be the candlestick. And Jesus is walking in the midst of his churches. I made a couple of mistakes on your handout today, but I think I've got the right reference on the screen. Matthew 18, 20. You'll notice in the handout I made a copy and paste error there. But here you go. This is the verse I actually wanted you to see, Matthew 18, 20, for where Jesus promised that he'd be among his people. He promised that he'd be among his people because in Matthew 18, 20, he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, say it with me, there am I. And I don't believe this is just a casual prayer meeting, though prayer is mentioned. If you study the context of the teaching, he talks about church discipline. He talks about his, the relationship of believers. I believe this is a reference to a gathered assembly in the name of Jesus. And where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Church doesn't have to be particularly large for it to have, to have a bright light, to shine to shine as a candlestick. Jesus, as he walks among the candlesticks this morning, as he walks among the churches of the world, I don't think Jesus is making a note of, whoa, they sure had a big attendance in North Adams today. Great offering. Great, great offering over in Dallas this morning. That's not what he's looking at. He wants to see how, not that he's not concerned with those things, but how is the candlestick shining? How bright is the light shining? Jesus is walking among us. Don't forget, when we gather together, we don't primarily gather for one another. That's secondary. It's essential, but secondary. We gather in the presence and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's walking among the candlesticks. In fact, this presence, he's reminded us in Matthew 28 when he gave the great commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you. You could summarize that. Teach all nations, make disciples, he says. You could summarize that with established churches around the world teaching them to observe all things which whatsoever I have commanded you. But then he says this, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. I'm with you. 2,000 years later, Christ has never left his church. But sadly, many churches have left Christ. That's why this is written. You understand, in the next few weeks, we'll look at all seven of these churches. Do you know how many of those local churches you could attend today? None of them. At some point in time, each and every one of those lampstands went out. But praise the Lord, he's never left his church 
And those lampstands reproduced other lampstands who continued to reproduce more lamps and more lights, and the church of Jesus Christ is spread throughout the world. But we are called and we are challenged to be reminded that of the presence of Christ among His church. Secondly, what we're going to learn in the coming weeks is not just the, that Christ is present, but that Christ is preeminent. Christ is preeminent in His church. In other words, He comes first. Not just first, but I mean first of first of first. He is the top of the church. In fact, what I see here is there's no mistake. The first thing that that John does is he says, wow, I looked around, I looked around, and if you notice, what was the first thing he saw? Did you remember? Go back to the, here in Revelation. He says, I looked around this vision, and the first thing I saw was what? The candlesticks. I saw the candlesticks. But then all of a sudden, the candlesticks faded in the distance because he turned to see the voice of the one that spake, and in the middle of the candlesticks, he saw Jesus. And he stops describing the candlesticks. We don't know a whole lot about the candlesticks. He doesn't say, and the candlesticks were six cubits high. He doesn't say, and the candlesticks, and the, and the, and the candlesticks were, were magnificently overlaid with gold. And the candlesticks had so many lights on them, he stops describing the candlesticks because all of his attention, all of the powers of his description are turned to who? To the Son of Man, to Jesus. And he says, but there was Jesus in the middle of it all. There is Jesus, preeminent in all that the candlesticks do, preeminent in all that the church is, preeminent in all that the church will be, is the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang, all hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. We sang that this morning, and that's exactly what John did. The text said, the text said, after I saw Jesus, I fell on my face as if I were dead. He was so awesome and so magnificent and so glorious. I just fell before him. His glory was above all. John caught a glimpse of the resurrected Christ. We're reminded, we read some of these verses this morning as we opened the service. In the book of Colossians, chapter 1, he describes this regarding the church. And he is before all things. Speaking of Jesus. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That phrase, firstborn from the dead, refers to his resurrection. That as Christ was resurrected, we will follow him in that resurrection. But he says that he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in how many things? That in how much? all of it, in everything, in all things, he might have the preeminence. He is not just eminent. We use that to, the, uh, to, to describe it, and not as frequently as it used to be used, but uh, you know, an eminent authority on some subject. That is the person that is the most knowledgeable or the most important but Jesus is just not eminent. He's not just important. He is, put the, put the prefix before it, he is pre 
preeminent. He is the first of first, and He is above all because He is God. Jesus is preeminent in His church. Verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Do we remember this morning that everything that we do is all about lifting up Jesus? It's all about giving Him first place. Everything that the church does in worship is for Him. The the singing that we do is to give Him preeminence. The offering that we receive is to give Him the preeminence. The love that we have for the brethren is for His glory and to give Him preeminence. The preached, proclaimed Word of God is so that we will come away and say, wow, not a great preacher, but what a great Jesus who's preached about. There's a funny story I read a little, little while back and somebody somewhere far away from here. So somebody uh, complained. They said, well, I really didn't like that song that we sang in church on Sunday. And a smart young lady answered back, well, that's okay. We weren't singing to you. But right, do we sometimes forget that the church isn't for us? The church is for Jesus. Well, I didn't like the way that that person treated me at the church. Well, you didn't primarily come for them. You came for Jesus, his church. Well, I didn't like this or I didn't like that. And I'm thankful we've got a wonderful spirit of unity in our church. So I'm not saying this. It's just kind of a good reminder for us, right? If we're going to continue to be a healthy church, every now and then we need to remind ourselves, whoa, what is this all about? Who is this all about? It's about Jesus. It's about lifting up the Lord. He is preeminent. It's His church. That doesn't mean we can't have helpful opinions and suggestions and and all of that. We're accountable to one another. There's There's a place for that. So long as we realize that my suggestion, my opinion, is this for the cause of Christ or is this just for me? And that's a question that that leaders in the church have to ask just as much as, as members in the church. We all have to say, well, am I, being, am I driving this thing because this is what I want and I desire, or am I trying to, to lead so that the whole church will put Christ in first place where he belongs? And we're not always going to get it right. But so long as we strive for the glory of Christ, we'll be on track and we'll be a bright and shining candlestick for his glory. The preeminence of Christ, His glory above all. Why? Well, the church was built by Christ. I give you these scriptures really fast. The church was built by Christ. Matthew 16, 18, I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, Jesus says what? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You understand that there is only one organization, and I, again, I, I mentioned this in Sunday school I use that term loosely, but there's only one organization for that, that Christ built. He came to build his church. There's a lot of other wonderful Christian missions and organizations and things that we can be involved in, but first and foremost in all of that, Jesus said, I want to be glorified in the church. You say, well, Ethan, isn't this talking like about the universal church? Well, I'm going to say, you say, is this talking about the universal church or the local church? I'm going to say, yes, 
and yes. Yes and yes. Of course, he's building his church universal. But all throughout the scripture, the emphasis is put on the visible gathering of that universal church. The the visible, physical body of Christ displayed to the world in the local church. In fact, I can prove it to you when in this next statement, the church belongs to Christ. If you look at Acts 20, verse 28, Paul is talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus. Interesting because Revelation, the, the book is written to Ephesus, but this is many years earlier. He's writing to the pastors, the elders of a specific local church in Ephesus, and he says, take heed, be careful for yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you what? That's the the word bishop, right? So the, the words are all here. Your elders that we saw earlier, their pastors, their bishops, all these words, speaking of the church in Ephesus, it says, feed the church of God. That literally means pastor the flock. Feed the church of God, which he hath what? Purchased with his own blood. He's saying, church at Ephesus, elders in Ephesus, your assembly, your local assembly was purchased by the blood of Jesus. Why is he first place? Because he built it and he bought it with his blood. And because he, because we are his bride. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself. A what? A glorious church. A glorious, I guess we didn't have that scripture. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Just like a man is to love his his beautiful bride, Jesus says, that is a picture of my love for my church. So it would be a glorious church. I've had people over the years say this. Well, I can love Jesus. I can love Jesus, but I don't need to be part of the church. I don't need to be part of a church. How many of you have ever heard somebody say something like that? Okay. That's like saying, hey, brother, We can be friends, but I just can't stand your wife. The church as, now look, the bride might not always look as beautiful as it's supposed to. Not your bride, the church, the bride. The bride may not always be as beautiful as it's supposed to be. But the church of Jesus Christ never stops being his beloved bride. And if you love Jesus, you need to love his bride. You need to love the church. Church is the bride of Christ. We live in a a very individualistic society where people want to go out and live out there. Am I saying that, that you can't be a Christian and not be a part of the local church? No. Of course not. We know we're saved. The moment we trust Christ as our Savior, we're part of the universal church of of Christ. We're His. We belong to Him. But what I am saying is you cannot be an obedient Christian without being a part of a local assembly of believers. And that's just what Scripture teaches. Because Jesus is preeminent in His church. So we're going to learn about the presence of Christ among His church. 
We're going to learn about the preeminence of Christ in his church. Then I'll I'll hurry now. We're going to look at the purpose of Christ for his church. The church here is called to be a faithful witness. And you can look at this. And most of these I didn't put on the screen now. So I just want you to notice Revelation 2. Just look at it really quick. The the church has got to be faithful, enduring persecution. Some of these churches uh, that that are being written to, like, The church is Smyrna. Look at verse number 10 of chapter 2. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. The devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. The church is going to endure persecution down in verse 13. In verse 13, speaking to the church at Pergamos, I know thy works where thou dwellest, Satan's seed is there, thou, but you hold fast my name. You haven't denied my faith, even in the days when Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you. The church, he says, church, you're going to endure persecution. And I'm not, my prayer isn't, Jesus is my desire, my purpose for the church isn't necessarily for it to be big, isn't for it to have a lot of money, isn't for it to be a, a, a major voice in the of um, or major power in your society. That's not the point. The point of the church is to be faithful, to be faithful, to endure afflictions, to endure persecutions. And then I love this, this theme. Faithful in that we are overcoming the spirit of the age. Overcoming the spirit of the age. How many of you have noticed that it just seems like the world's getting a little darker? You notice that? Yeah. It's been dark for a long time, though. We've been blessed with, with, with a couple hundred years in our culture of just some real bright days in our culture. But when you study church history, the churches that we're going to study in the next few weeks, they were living in darker times than we were then. It was dark. It was dark. But he doesn't focus them on the darkness of the world. He teaches them to become, to be overcomers. I want you to see how many times, if you have your Bible open, I hope you do, I just want you to, we're going to rapid fire, look at these, to each of these churches. Verse 7, and when I stop, if you've got your Bible open, when I stop, go ahead and read the, read the, read the word. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches, to him that overcometh. Verse 11 to the next church. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh. Verse 17 to the next church. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh. Verse number 26. And he that... Chapter 3 and verse number 5. He that overcometh. Verse number 12. Him that overcometh. And at the very end, in verse number 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and have sat down with my Father in his throne. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. That's, that's John. John's gospel, the epistles of John, and Revelation talk about light, talk about darkness, talk about overcoming the darkness. It's a magnificent theme. In fact, 1 John, and I did give you this scripture to look at, 
1 John 5, verses 4 through 5 say this. 1 John 5, 4 through 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Overcometh the world. Gideon, I think we have this verse. If you could put it up, please. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. I want you to see this. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. In verse number 5, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. A lot of people, leave that up, a lot of people have misinterpreted this whole idea of overcoming, and they think, well, we got to try really hard to overcome. we got to try really hard to overcome. And I don't know, am I? No, the Bible says this. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you have a relationship with Christ, then you are an overcomer. It is your destiny to overcome the world. So this theme here to the church is, hey, the faithful ones in the church overcome the spirit of the age. And then finally this morning, We've seen the preeminence or the presence of Christ, his preeminence, his purpose, and then the purity that he desires for us. This is going to be very important. Jesus gives a very solemn warning in Revelation 2.5. He warns the church at Ephesus, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will what? Remove your candlestick. Wow. Because we are the bride of Christ. And as a church, we're called to be pure and holy. The church must be more concerned with the brightness of our light than the darkness of the world. I found it astounding. There are Christian leaders today. There are Christian leaders today who have become political leaders. They talk about all the problems with our country. They talk about the darkness and how our country's changing and all of this. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that that's wrong in and of itself, but some of these very voices talking about the darkness of the world are people who've been unfaithful to their spouses, are people who have lived ungodly lifestyles on their own. And sometimes the church just goes along with all of that. We realize, wait a minute, we're not supposed to... The world is dark. It's always been dark. Have you seen how dark it is? Oh, it's dark. Oh, really dark out there. Can you believe how dark it's getting? It's getting dark earlier. Have you noticed that these days? Sure is dark. Schools are dark. Universities are dark. White House is dark. It's dark. It's getting dark. Oh, it's so dark. Well, what about the church? Maybe instead of focusing on the darkness on the outside, we should focus on the brightness on the inside. And say, in a dark world, the darker the night, as the saying goes, the darker the night, the brighter the light. And I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine. Shame on us if we talk about the darkness of the world, but we never 
share the light of the gospel with our friends and neighbors. I mean, right? We, have, we are responsible for our candlestick. We are responsible for our lampstand. Let's let it shine. Let's keep on shining. Believer, let's just put it down to real blunt application. How would you describe your relationship to the local church? Is your life contributing to the brightness of this church? Just ask yourself that question. Whether yes or no, are you shining to your full potential within the body of Christ? Or are you allowing your light to get dim? Are you allowing the brightness to wane in your life? The candlestick is only as bright as the individual candles. The greater your flame, the greater the brightness of this church. Does this church shine brighter because you're a part of it? Ask yourself that question. That's for those who know that they belong to Jesus. But there may be somebody here or somebody that will watch this message, and I'm going to ask you this question. Do you belong to the church of Jesus Christ? You say, what what do you mean? I don't mean are you a member of an organized religion or an organized church. You You can actually be a legal member of a church and completely miss out on being part of the true church of Christ. That would be the greatest tragedy of all. To be part of a visible church assembled, but not to truly have a relationship with Jesus. It's not about being religious, but belonging to Christ. The only way to be part of Christ's true church, true true bride, is to receive Him by faith. Has there been a time in your life that you have repented of your sin, believed, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that you died to save me, and I put my trust in you. Remember what we read in 1 John, who overcomes? The ones who believe. It's the ones who believe. Have you believed on Christ? If not, do it today, and then let your light shine brightly. Let's bow our heads Close our eyes. There's a lot for us to think about this morning. But first and foremost, as I just said, has there been a time in your life that you've personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Say, Ethan, I'm not sure. Well, let me ask you this. If you die today, do you know for sure you would go to heaven? Say, I'm just not sure. Jesus died for you. He shed his blood. You say, but I don't know. I don't understand everything. But do you understand enough to know that you're a sinner and you need Jesus as your Savior? Because that's all that's required. All the rest can, can come along. You, you say, well, I don't know if I, I, if I get it all. I don't know if I understand it at all. At all. Faith begins with a simple acknowledgement. I am a sinner Jesus is the Son of God. I trust Him and His resurrection alone for my salvation. 
If you're the least bit uncertain, why don't you make sure today? In your heart, pray to the Lord. Pray something like this, Lord Jesus, I do know I'm a sinner. I do know that you died and rose again for me. I don't understand everything, but I want to trust you as my Savior. I believe. Please save me. Yes, I believe. Please save me. If from a sincere heart you would pray something like that, the Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth and if you'll believe in your heart, you can know for sure that you are saved. It's simply by believing in Christ. Don't leave today until you settle that. Be part of the true church by putting your faith in Christ. But those of us who have trusted Christ, what is our relationship like to His church? Do we love it? Do we love the bride? Do we, do we give ourselves? Are we completely surrendered? As the instruments play, let's just have a quiet time of prayer as we let the Lord speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, we thank you for your calling in our lives. We just pray that you'd help us to be the light that you've called us to be, to shine brightly in this dark world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.